Well, I know that uh, our members probably uh, hear this all the time, but we always have guests. So I wanted to point out the gold insert in your service folder, and uh, you're very much welcome to use that to follow along um, during our sermon study if you'd like, or to uh, use the uh, sermon study or the Bible study on the backside during your week. Take that home with you if you'd like. New All, Minnesota is uh, home to a college called Martin Luther College, and Martin Luther College is a college that some of you know, um, trains the pastors and teachers for our church Bethlehem and for all the churches in our church body called the Wisconsin Synod. Martin Luther College has been around since the mid to late 1800s, so it's been over a hundred years, and over a hundred years you can guess that there is not only a lot, thousands of graduates and students who've attended there, but also over more than a hundred years, lots and lots of interesting history, especially when you go back a ways. I noticed uh, last month that not only in the MLC magazine, but also on their website, they have a new feature called The Way It Was, and every month they're kind of highlighting um, something about the past of this college. There was an interview done with a lady named Trudy Oswald. She was a 1927 graduate of uh, Martin Luther College at that time, DMLC. And she talked about sort of the, the roots of girls basketball at MLC. And I thought it was kind of interesting and in fact uh, applied enough to what we're talking about today that I wanted to show you a quick little uh, clip of that um, from the website. It's about two minutes. The girls didn't have any, any place. Uh, to uh, tumble around, and then we found an empty room in the recitation building. It was way on top, and you know we said, "Say, listen, this is a room. We can put a, you know, a thing up, and we can have basketball." The first thing we had to do was ask Stubby, you know, believe in me. <laughs> we went and said, "Oh, that's just the ideal place for good." good uh, place where we can play basketball and dance and anything like that. Oh, he said, you know what would happen if you would do that? First of all, the, the, the floor would come down, and that's the ceiling of a, of a teaching room. The floor would just come down, I hope. Uh, but you know, we got our six together, and we got, uh, you know, they wore kind of bloomers and ladies, and for Christmas we got that, and one girl brought a basketball. <laughs> we went down and had our picture taken, and oh, we were so happy. The proofs, you know, we went around to each one. Would you like one? Oh, sure, they wanted one for their photo. So all those we got a basketball tee without having one. <laughs> we went down to Eigner's, you know, in our basketball, and we took that basketball, and we talked basketball so people would hear it. We just had so much fun making believe we had a basketball. So there never was a girls' basketball team, but 
in a lot of photo albums. We're there. <laughs> wow, they had too much time on their hands. Uh, <laughs> and that's the actual factual history behind some of the pictures of the 1920s girls basketball teams. They were just pictures and not really teams. Now, if I were to have told you that account, you probably thought that, you know, I totally made it up, that unbelievable that something like that would happen. But when I get Trudy Oswald up there to talk to you about it herself, now all of a sudden what seemed to be unbelievable, um, you begin to believe. Why? Because she was there, she experienced it, she saw it, she was an eyewitness to exactly what she's talking about. Now, a lot of people think that Christianity or being a Christian is about a philosophy of living or a way to conduct your life. But in this series, why we're taking five weeks on Easter right now is because the truth is it's not a philosophy. I mean, there's there's way to live when it comes to Christianity, but really the heart and core of being a Christian is something else. It's about an historical event, a point in history that infinitely is more important than anything that happened in MLC. Now, as an example, when you hear um, what Trudy Oswald talks about, in some ways that might sound a little unbelievable because it's so unusual. But when you or people in this world hear about a person who was dead, but then rose from the dead, rose from the dead, that becomes in some ways unbelievable because it's seemingly impossible, at least people think that. We're going to we're going to come back to the whole eyewitness thing because this is what Paul is going to talk about at the end of our section. But in order for the section to make sense, you need to understand a little bit of background. As we saw in our readings, um, right after Jesus rose from the dead, his followers, the disciples, they were on fire for the Lord. And you can imagine why, uh, these things that they experienced and saw. And so they went and they began to spread the message of Jesus as Savior to the then known world. And, and there was like amazing things that happened. Um, on one day called Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith. There were other, uh, we, we see uh, traces of thousands of people that came to faith. We, we see instances of that in scripture. So an awesome thing. But as time kind of went on, as the years went by, the people who'd come to faith, at least in some areas, especially maybe in a town called Corinth, they, they began to question this idea that Jesus rose from the dead. They began to doubt that something so miraculous, an event like that, could really happen. And what they began to do was to sort of be a Christian, but they were a Christian on their own terms. What I mean by a Christian on your own terms is that they took the things that they liked and they kind of got rid of the things that they didn't. Um, for instance, they tried to separate Easter from being a Christian. If you were to read the Gospels and not believe in Jesus as your Savior, there'd be a ton of good stuff in there. If someone who doesn't believe in Jesus as their Savior read the Sermon on the Mount, they'd find a whole lot of helpful information. Jesus was a great teacher and a great life counselor. There would be things in that Sermon on the Mount about why it's dumb to worry, about how to be humble, about how to build a strong home, about how to forgive and why it's important to forgive, and the importance of prayer. I mean, Jesus was a great 
counselor, a great life counselor. But that's not ultimately, as you and I know, why he was here. But especially in Corinth, they began to sort of take faith on their own terms. And what I'd like to maybe call this is they were kind of like um, buffet Christians. What I mean by that is, uh, I've talked about this before. Some of you know that I like, uh, like buffets. Some of you don't really get it. But the truth is that it's like this uh, wonderland of eternal happiness and just food. Okay, So I love buffets. Another good part of about a buffet is this. And this is especially true if your wife is not there that you can bypass the food that you don't like, that's good for you, and just fill your plate in those areas where the food is good. It may not be good for you, but it sure tastes good, right? You can do that if you want. This works well at Old Country Buffet or Ponderosa. It, it just does not work. It just cannot work when it comes to faith, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to following Jesus. It just could not work for the Corinthians who were trying to take away or to remove the most important part of the faith altogether, the part about the resurrection, to leave that on the shelf and to fill their tray with all the stuff that helped them in their relationships and all these other things. Now, we may not have Maybe you do, but most of us may not have a problem with, with Easter or the resurrection, but are you and I ever buffet Christians? Are we ever guilty of maybe trying to make faith on our own terms? Here's a couple of examples that maybe um, people or even myself can struggle with. Sometimes maybe in the area of time management. Um, we like the part about go to the church on the Sabbath or go to church and worship one hour a week. I can do that. I can cut out or carve out an hour a week. But, you know, this whole idea that actually godly priorities should permeate my entire schedule, that I should think about godly priorities when it comes to my work schedule, my family schedule, my sports schedule, my school schedule, my social schedule, my weekend schedule, that, that the priorities of God should permeate everything. Well, God, how can you expect that? I mean, do you know how much I've signed up my family for already this summer? And we take what we like and maybe not totally get rid of, but in our hearts ignore what we don't. Maybe it's in the area of finances. When things are struggle, when a job is lost, we hold on to, and we should, the promises of God about how he will always provide for us and give us what we need. Hold God to his promises. But then when he does provide for us, we kind of would rather not have God in our wallets. We'd rather not think about how, again, godly priorities should permeate how we budget all of our money. Not just what we give the church, but everything. Are we wasteful? It's okay to have fun, but do we waste? Is there a better way that we can apply God to that area of our life? And we pick and we choose. These are two areas. But this is a very prevalent philosophy when it comes to a faith relationship with Jesus in our day and age. I mean, you've probably run into someone like this that said, all right, after you told them what you believe, believe what you want. That's just not right for me. That's not just right for my faith in Jesus. 
It's so easy to pick the things that are fun or that are easy or that make us feel good. And at times, sinfully, we're buffet Christians who look at faith on our own terms. And again, this is dangerous in all areas of faith, something we want to avoid in all areas, but especially when it comes to Easter, when it comes to the resurrection, Paul had no time to waste with the Corinthians. He wanted to encourage them about what was most important. So he wrote an entire chapter, one of the most beautiful chapters of the entire Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead because he knew the temptation they were having to be buffet Christians. We turn to chapter 15, verse 1. He writes, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. Um, question, what does gospel mean? Good news, all right. So this was a very normal word at first, just meant good news. Uh, like uh, your boss comes into your office and says, I've got some gospel for you. You're getting that promotion. Okay, it was just a very generic good news word. But as time going on, the word gospel, especially in the English language, tends to connotate a very special good news. The good news about Jesus. The good news about forgiveness and about heaven. And Paul needed to remind them about it. Verse 2, it is by this good news, by this gospel, that you are saved. Not your works not volunteering a certain amount of time, not showing up here on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. It is by the gospel that you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, if you trust and hold on to that by faith, otherwise you've believed in vain. Verse 3. For what I received, that is then the gospel or the good news, I then passed on to you, as of first importance, the most important thing, colon, here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, or that he appeared. The Bible is uh, 66 different writings, all bound together into one thing for our ease of use. There's a lot in the Bible. Sometimes it's just nice to, when you're talking with someone, you know, take someone who's just gushing over their new girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, and sometimes you might just need to chime in. Could you, you know, what are you trying to say? You get to the point. Sometimes that's helpful. When it comes to the Bible, it's good at times to just, what is the main point? What is all of this 66 books all about? And in the span of three verses here, Paul tells us, it's highlighted in the red, Christ died and was buried. He rose from the dead and appeared. That's the Cliff Notes version of the entire Bible. If you want to know what Christianity is all about, if you are asked by a friend, what is it exactly that you believe? What's your church all about? You can skip the revelation part, and you don't have to talk about the creation part. Those are good eventually. But if you want to get to the heart of it, if you want for your own benefit to get to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, it's to believe and trust that Christ died and was buried, Paul says, that he rose from the dead, 
and appeared, that he died for our sins, that he was the perfect substitute for people like you and me, buffet Christians, who find it much easier to put faith on our terms than to follow what Christ clearly lays out for us. Buffet Christians who at times, even when we try our hardest, still fail. He was the perfect substitute, and then he, he rose from the dead. As proof, not only of his victory, but of ours. You know, in, in chapter 14, um, Paul goes on, or 15, I should say, he goes on to talk about what would be like if Christ never had risen from the dead. Verse uh, 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching, our worship, our basketball camp, our vacation Bible school, Sunday school, sermon, uh, t uh, children's message, all of it, my life is useless. And so is your faith. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith, the gathering together, the buying of land, the, the working together, the trust, the joy, the hope, it's futile, it's worthless, it's nothing. You'd still be in your sins. See, if there was no Easter, Paul is telling them, you cannot be a buffet Christian when it comes to Easter. If there was no Christian... Jesus is still, it's still no Easter. Jesus is still in the grave. The devil won, death won, sin won. There is no hope. And then, after he talks about this for about eight verses or so, there's this transition. And in, in English, a lot of times, we don't spend a lot of time with transitional words, but this is like one of the, the biggest transitions, I think, in one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. Verse 20, Paul says, after all this stuff, he says, but. But. Change of thought, change of direction, 180 degrees. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ was raised. And now I pass this on to you, not as a minor detail of your faith, but of first importance. And then Paul does this very interesting thing in our section. We're going to get back to it in just a moment. Because of how important he understands, and now you do, Easter is, he does this awesome thing that I don't know if maybe you've ever really dug down on very much. And today, I pray it to be a blessing to you. He continues in verses 5 through 8 of our section to share something. Let me read it first. He, Jesus, appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. After Jesus rose from the dead, he did not, most of you know this, did not just go right to heaven. You, you know what he did? He spent 40 days here on earth. You know why? Well, let me ask. If I would have told you that a bunch of girls in MLC in the 20s posed as a basketball team but weren't really a basketball team, you would not believe me, likely. How do you know? But if you see Trudy, you believe. Jesus stayed on earth for 40 days for your encouragement, for your strength, and for the strength of those 
who saw him. Now, you probably know that Jesus appeared to the disciples on Easter evening and to the ladies. Did you know the rest of this? Some of you did. Did you know that after that happened, he went up to the Galilee area and appeared to more than 500 people at the same time? That he showed himself to be alive for their strength and for their encouragement. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses to his resurrection. In fact, did you catch what Paul does for emphasis at the end of verse 6? Or in the middle of verse 6? He says, he appeared to 500 most of whom are still living. So this was written about 20 years after Easter. And this is essentially what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you still don't believe what I'm telling you, buy a boat ticket across the Mediterranean because there are hundreds of Christians in Israel who saw him with his own eyes, with their own eyes. Go and talk to them. Go and see and hear and listen to what they saw. Now, when it comes to believing in Easter, when it comes to faith, make no mistake, it is something that we need to believe by faith. It is something that you cannot believe the resurrection of Christ without the Holy Spirit working in your heart. God's work in our heart is absolutely vital to all of that. But, here's the other side of it. What also is unmistakable is that Jesus cared about proof. And so instead of going right to heaven like he could have, after Easter, he stuck around for 40 days. Yes, for the encouragement of the people then, but for yours too and mine, 2,000 years later, he gave us proof. Now, the thing is, when we, cut, when we think of the Bible, you and I, as Bible-believing Christians who understand, I think most of us do, that God inspired it, we treat the Bible with awe and reverence, and we should, because God had a hand in it, okay? But that's the one side of it. That's the, the side that we should never forget. But the other side we should never forget is that this is not just some magical book. It's a history book that real people wrote. Yes, God guided them, but that real people wrote. So when someone asks you, how can you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You might answer, because the Bible says so. And that's a good answer. I'm not going to tell you to change your answer. But what I would have you begin to think about is that is that as full of an answer as what you could have? Is there more, potentially, that you could say or understand about the Bible says so? Because it's not just the Bible says so. The Bible, again, is a book of 66 writings, and so that you don't have them all scattered around your office or room so you can't find the one you're looking for, someone a long time ago, in a very smart way, bound it all together so that you have it all in one place. Why do you believe in Easter? Maybe a better way to say it would be this. Because there's a guy named Matthew. He was a tax collector and a follower of Jesus. And on the night of Easter Sunday, he saw Jesus with his own eyes, and then Matthew, he wrote about it. And that writing still exists. Or Mark, he hung out with uh, the 12 disciples, and especially with Peter, and he wrote down the things that they told him about, and we still have it. And Luke, he was a doctor, and in chapter 1, verse 1 of his letter, he talks about how he went through a very thorough investigation process of all the things that were being talked about about Christianity, and after this very thorough investigation of the eyewitnesses that he knew, he wrote it down. 
and we still have it. And John, on Easter, he didn't believe it, but he ran to the tomb. He beat Peter. He got there first. It was empty. That night, he saw Jesus with his own eyes, and then he wrote about it. And Peter, he ran to the tomb too. In fact, Peter would not stop talking about it until it cost him his life. And then, before that, he wrote it down. James, the half-brother of Jesus, let me ask, what would it take you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? <laughs> My brother would have to rise from the dead. Well, good. James's brother did. And he saw him with his own eyes, and even though James didn't believe at first, he did later. And then what did he do? He wrote it down. And Paul had Jesus appear to him in a very special way years later. Easter, my friends, is an absolutely integral part of faith and being a Christian. And Jesus knew that. He understood that. And so he sends us his Holy Spirit to strengthen us in faith. But do not think that your faith stands on shaky ground or it's all magical and it's all mysterious. It's real. A real event in history that people wrote about and that we put our hope and trust in. Eyewitnesses accounts that Jesus allowed for your strength 2,000 years later. So here's the thing. You have questions about faith. You have questions about God. You have questions about life. We have questions that we just don't have answers for, like, uh, what happened to the dinosaurs, right? Or how does this Trinity thing work? Three persons, one God, I don't know. know. What's heaven like? Is it here or there? What about the last day? Will I be all happy, or will there be a little bit of fear of the destruction that comes along with the last day? Why did... God call my mom or dad home so early in life, or why did a relationship fail, or why is a child sick, or why am I sick? These are all valid questions, and sometimes there are different things that happen when it comes to faith that actually drive a wedge so that people leave the church or God for a while, like, like a, a job that was lost, or like a, a pastor that disappointed you, or, or maybe it was a Christian at work that you really trusted, and then he or she did something that just blew your mind that a Christian would do that. I don't know about this. Those things are going to happen. But at the end of the day, while it's good to search for answers for things and continue to study, your faith ultimately is based on one thing. Christ died and was buried. He rose from the dead and appeared. That's it. That's the heart of my hope. That's why when you go to a funeral, you can have hope. Because Christ died and was buried. He rose from the dead and appeared. As we thank God for witnesses, we too confidently trust through the eyes of faith. Amen.